When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. The Fountain of Truth about what? Well, the Fountain of Truth about aging. And this is a very special show for me because it's proving to me that issues of aging are at a tipping point. That means they are interesting to folks, all kinds of folks. And oddly enough, because I know who's the audience of this show for many years, not all the time are folks of a certain age interested in aging itself. But we are getting fascinated by the fact that we are aging better And when we were younger, we would never have described ourselves in our 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond as being so happy, healthy, and ready to plan and go as we are today. So what is the result of this tipping point in aging? Well, my guest today, I'm so proud to say, uh, is Dr. Fernando Torres Gill, Professor of Social Welfare and Public Policy, Director at UCLA Center for Policy Research on Aging, co-author of The Politics of a Majority Minority Nation, Aging, Diversity, and Immigration, and so much more. Those of you who have followed what went on in um, the uh, Obama administration, uh, in uh, many, just so many administrations, I know if, if I told you his entire background, we would take up the whole show. But the fact is, he understands what's happening in Washington, D.C., and he understands what's happening in the living room. And he is one of the folks who is going to present at a free event tomorrow. UCLA Extension addresses key issues relating to the aging population in a new free Extension Open Seminar. I'm going to be giving you all the details so that you can be part of this, and it will also be on our website this very day. So thank you, Dr. Torres, for being with us today. Yes, my pleasure. Welcome, everyone. Let's start uh, not so much from the beginning, but let's start with tomorrow. Tomorrow, there's going to be a discussion among high-level experts with regard to aging and today's culture and population. I'm going to start with the jugular. I'm worried. I still think that ageism is one of the major cultural issues that we have not faced and not fought. Do you see a change with regard to ageism? And and I'm going to ask you a sub-question. What's your definition of ageism? (laughs) Well, I'll start backwards. Of course, the standard reply when humorous reply is uh, we define old age as anything five years beyond our particular age but uh, but uh, in terms of how we define age we're going through quite uh, a change even a revolution in how we define age in the last century when we created social security for example we defined age at uh, old age at 65 years of age because that's because most people didn't live that long. Then in the passage of the Old Americans Act in the 1965, we defined it as 60 years of age or over. AARP defines old age as 50 years of age and over. And the Age Discrimination and Employment Act law uh, defines old age as anyone 40 years of age and over. So as you can see, we've gone back and forth. But ultimately, I'd like to suggest that we need to get beyond using the term old age and get beyond having to define what that is. Because ultimately, 
It is about the lifespan, longevity, aging, and the health span. And I believe that's what this topic is, is about. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Torres at one of our conferences that my audience knows all about, Metabesity 2021. And one of the major things that we did discuss there was the fact that we could be biologically much younger or older than our chronologic age. So the idea of chronology, which Dr. Torres just went through, is almost irrelevant today. Uh, but tomorrow's conference is going to be talking about these various cultural trends when it comes to aging. Do you feel that that is a trend? Do you feel that we're not no longer hung up on our chronologic age? Or do we still have to, uh, to think about that, maybe fight that, even in our own self? I, I believe we have made good progress in the last 20, 30 years in gaining a greater public appreciation uh, both of persons who happen to be older, who qualify for Medicare and Social Security and the Older Americans Act and programs based upon an age criteria to receive benefits. I believe we have certainly uh, gained greater appreciation for older adults who are still active and doing good and even great things. Ageism, however, still is alive and well, sadly, and we noted that during the pandemic when it was older adults, especially in long-term care facilities, institutional facilities, who suffered the most and still are quite vulnerable to to this COVID. Uh, we know that ageism is still there when it comes to uh, hospitals having to ration care when they're overloaded with COVID patients. And so ageism is there. But I think what's happening, though, is ageism is now mixed up with sexism and ableism and nativism, where older Hispanic, Black, elderly with chronic conditions are especially vulnerable. So the point here is we have a long ways to go in dealing with these isms. The good news, however, is I believe we have crossed a threshold in the public narrative about aging, about the public recognizing more and more that aging is a lifelong process, that intergenerational relationships are important, that we must begin educating younger persons, even in K through 12, about preparing for a longer lifespan. So I see positive trends, but yet we still have to deal with the vulnerability increasingly based upon income, education, race, and gender and disability. But we're making progress, but we have to now deal with the greater diversity and the vulnerability of low-income minority older adult females. So I'm going to take that as a step in the right direction. Uh, because in the old days, we can say that there was one broad category. People were old and discriminated against. Now we're looking at this in a much more realistic way. There are definitely haves and have nots with regard to people of certain ages. And when we look at those who really need the help, really need the health care, really need the support, we're really getting somewhere. Now, I want to tell everybody how they can access what's going to be a fascinating event. It's called the Aging Landscape, Emerging Trends and Changing Perspectives. It begins Pacific time, 1 p.m. tomorrow, uh, December 9th, and it is Zoom. That means anybody, anywhere listening to me, anywhere in the world could actually access this. It is UCLA's 
uh, extension open seminars offered at no cost and open to the public. Now, I will also, for all of you, um, contact them to see if we can get a recording of that uh, for those of you who can't make it, because I think this is going to be a real breakthrough session and very, very important. Uh, I will also say, Dr. Tori, is that it's, uh, it's a way to unpack this issue of ageism in a very realistic way. We do talk about ageism in the workplace, but right now we're thinking about equity and equality in the workplace. Do you think that that's going to trickle down or up if we want to look at it to older adults uh, uh, with, uh, as you said, Hispanic, black in the workplace? Do you think they'll get a fair shake, an equitable shake? Because they have two things against them right now culturally, age and diversity. Have we arrived there yet? Well, I appreciate you bringing out what I refer to as the diversity within the diversity, meaning we can no longer overgeneralize that it's either, you know, you're either black African-American and you have all these terrible things facing you or you're white and you have all these good things facing you. It is that diversity within the diversity and the nuances. But if we want to provide a more kind of uh, uh, manageable approach to it, it comes down to the social and economic disparities that were so pronounced during this pandemic and still continue. And so if we look at a low-income person with less than a college education that's female, ethnic, or minority, we can pretty well know that that person, whether that person is young, middle-aged, or older, is going to face cumulative disadvantages. And so I really appreciate the approach you are taking where we're looking down at the nuances. We're drilling down to what's the root causes of these inequities. Many of us older persons, and I'm 73 years old, I'm a baby boomer. I'm, I'm quite privileged. I have my defined benefit plan, my retirement savings. I have retiree healthcare coverage. I invested in property. My wife has pensions. And so we're a privileged uh, group. And I happen to be Hispanic, older, and disabled. But I'm privileged. But not every, most persons will not have those luxuries or opportunities when they retire, as my wife and I will have. And so it really comes down to if we had to have a simple measure, zip code. Zip code increasingly is correlated with your advantages and disadvantages. And that's the nuances of aging, and that's the diversity within the diversity. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about public policy and how it was something you know a lot about, Dr. Torres. And uh, maybe that should be one of the criteria, where we look first at who lives where, and that gives us a heads up on who needs what. When we come back, we will talk about not just the disenfranchised, but the enfranchised and what it means to be an elder with power at the polls. Don't you guys go anywhere. We'll be right back. All of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit, I'm inappropriate, for my age, da 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 
Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, and we're really getting to the truth today. The Fountain of Truth about aging, we do not mince words around here. There is such a thing as ageism. There's such a thing as racism. There's such a thing as uh, diversity that can sound great and diversity that can really be a signal, which means people need help. And we're trying to get down to the bottom of this, and there's going to be a, a seminar that you cannot miss. In fact, if you do have to miss it, I'm going to try very hard to make sure you all have access to the recorded session. It's called The Aging Landscape, Emerging Trends and Changing Perspectives. I'm hoping for those changing perspectives to really dig down deep into who needs help, who is the focus of ageism, who is the focus of uh, of discrimination because of diversity. It begins tomorrow, my time, Pacific time, at 1 p.m., December 9th. And it is part of the UCLA's Extension Open Seminars Program. We've talked so many times and had so many experts on lifelong learning and the OSHA Foundation and many other opportunities that older adults have to continue to learn. Well, this is one of the stellar ones, the UCLA Open Seminars. Now, I'm here today with one of the speakers at this particular seminar, uh, Dr. Fernando Torres Gill. I've had so many uh, wonderful moments thinking about a past a interview I had with him at a Metabesity conference. But this is a little bit different. Uh, he is a professor of social welfare and public policy, director at the UCLA Center for Policy Research on Aging, and co-author of The Politics of Majority Minority Nation, Aging, Diversity, and Immigration. I want to talk about that for a moment. Um, you know, Dr. Torres, you're, you're known to many people, including my listeners, for your political affiliations, the fact that you have uh, been able to honcho Big changes for people who are disabled or differently abled, as it may be called today, for people who um, who are older, or people with diversity in their backgrounds. So the question is, it used to be that Social Security was the third rail of politics. You had never messed with that because the older adult vote. What's happening now? Uh, do we have coalitions among various types of older adults so that we have more power at the polls, or is diversity splitting us up? We have less power at the polls. What's our role today as the elder statesman, let's say, oh. of citizenship? What do you think? Well, let me uh, it's, let me just address uh, what we refer to as the politics of aging. And uh, uh, just a short version of the politics of aging is that persons over 50 years of age, those over 65 years of age, have held greater influence in the electorate way back into the 1930s, the creation of Social Security, the 1960s, the creation of Medicare, Medicaid, the Older Americans Act, the 1990s, the passage of Medicare Part D, the prescription drug benefit. And to this day, older voters have greater influence in the electorate simply because they're more likely to register, more likely to vote more likely to voice their opinions. And uh, that influence has been good in many ways. It's ensured that older persons have influence, whether through their organizations like the National Council on Aging or AARP or through their votes. However, that vote can also work against democracy in that the older voter, at least up until recent years, has been heavily white, non-Hispanic, reflecting 
this country's demographic transition from a primarily white English-speaking population to one that is increasingly going to be ethnic, racial, immigrant, and therefore majority-minority. But younger voters at this point, under 50, who are now heavily diverse, have less electoral influence because they're not as likely to vote register. And so we're kind of caught in a transition right now in 2021, 2022, where the interests of the older voters represent a different world and a different view from those that are younger. And that's where a lot of the tensions around race, immigration, ethnicity, refugees, foreign workers, the wall, bilingual education. A lot of that tension is this transition from a largely older white baby boomer electorate that came through the 1950s and 60s and 70s when the country was more homogenous and what will become by 2030, 2040, a primarily ethnic, racial, immigrant society. And we're struggling with those different views and they're playing out in the electorate and that older voter uh, that is very concerned about these demographic changes uh, is still not quite adjusting to these new demographics. But I will say this, there is hope, by the way, and I'm optimistic. There is something that unifies that older white voter and the younger Latino, Asian, immigrant, Native American, Black voter. They both age groups, all age groups want security. They want health security. They want retirement security. They want income security. And they want safe streets. And I think that is where some of us are working towards creating that consensus, a common agenda around income, retirement, public safety. And I believe that will help to bridge the divide between an older electorate that's different from a different time and space and a younger electorate that is more diverse and seeking their own you know, access to uh, whatever it is they want in their lives. Unfortunately, at the moment, however, and this is my concern about our democracy in this country, you have an extremist group that's trying to uh, essentially create barrier towards equal voting, towards equal participation in the electorate. And that is very dangerous in terms of the ability to create intergenerational, interracial, interethnic coalitions, which I believe we can do. But when you have a certain political party in certain states making it difficult for low-income ethnic minority voters to vote, and these are the and are bringing back what used to be known as Jim Crow legislation, which is essentially don't let those poor immigrant minority people vote because they'll start to demand things. When you allow unfairness in voting to occur, that creates tremendous polarization, which makes it more difficult to find common cause between an older white conservative voter and the younger immigrant minority voters who all have the same needs in terms of security. So our goal now is to fight back against these Jim Crow legislation so that all groups, regardless of political affiliation, can voice their needs 
through the electoral, po- electoral process so that the politics of aging becomes one of intergenerational, interethnic, interracial coalitions. Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, responding to that, first of all, there's a wonderful book out. You may have heard of it, Dr. Torres. It's called The Politics of a Majority-Minority Nation, <laughs> Aging, Diversity, and Immigration. So I think everybody should get started by familiarizing themselves with Dr. what Dr. Torres has written because it's a very serious issue. But both of us have been around for the first for, for a long time. I happen to be exactly your age. We remarked about that last time. It's not our first rodeo. There have always been these obstreperous um, uh, types and groups in this country. There have always been. And our greatest tool has been the voting box. Uh, That has been what has allowed us to overcome those instead of them overcoming us. And so we have to be aware of that. We have to know where the issues are and vote accordingly. Because let me tell you, this comes right from your group, from UCLA. This statistic is, is really astonishing. By 2040, and by the way, folks, that's coming right up. Don't blink your eye. Those people over the age of 65 and older will be more than double over the next 40 years, reaching 80 million by 2040. But here's the kicker. One of five Americans will be age 65 or older by 2040, which makes us an enormous voting block. And if we vote the right way together, we actually do make a change in this country as never before. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk a couple of minutes about the fact that it's not only that we're voting, we're also running for office. Take a look at what's going on for several years in Washington, D.C. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, Dr. Torres is certainly going to comment on it. Don't you guys go anywhere. Full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. Da 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da da da. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. Now, around now, I usually do a little bit of housekeeping, so I'm going to do two types of housekeeping today, one for our organization, another for UCLA. With regard to our organization, don't forget we are the Catalyst Institute for the Delay and Prevention of Age-Related Diseases. We have just put together our 2022 webcast series, and the next one is on January 17th with Dr. Snyder. We're talking about, and he's from Stanford, by the way, uh, we're talking about big data, how big data can be used to improve our health diagnostically so that we have a very early detection. I was just told today by one of the leaders, leading consultants of the pharmaceutical industry that a person age 30 could already know if they are vulnerable to prostate cancer and do something to prevent it as they age. This is the kind of remarkable scientific breakthroughs we're involved with. And at the Catalyst Institute, we would like to work in Washington with congressional briefings and regulatory institutions like the FDA to make sure that these preventions, not just cures after you've got a problem, are available as part of public policy. Now, speaking of public policy, we have with us today just really one of the outstanding speakers 
uh, in the field of aging, one of the outstanding writers and professors, uh, Professor Dr. Fernando Torres Gill, uh, Professor of Social Welfare and Public Policy, Director UCLA Center for Policy Research on Aging, and co-author of a very fine book that really in itself is a breakthrough in our thinking. The Politics of a Majority-Minority Nation, Aging, Diversity, and Immigration, tomorrow, uh, December 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific. You will be tuning in to the UCLA Extension Open Seminar on the Aging Landscape. And only one of those speakers is here with us today. There are many, many fine speakers. But uh, Dr. Torres, you were talking about the role of the elder uh, in forming coalitions against dark forces that we may have here in the U.S. and are cropping up again. We do see it in other countries as well, by the way. Um, And we talked about the power of the older voter. But we didn't talk about the power of the older politician. We're beginning to see uh, people well over 70. In fact, we're kind of like spring chickens compared to some of the folks in office today. Uh, Good news or bad news? I mean, is it giving, is it turning away younger folks? Do they feel they'll never get their chance at making policy? Or is it just a great, wonderful thing because of our longevity, healthy longevity? What's your take on this? It's, It's ultimately to the good that we now see elected officials well into their 70s, even early 80s, and, you know, they're they're in the news all the time. Certainly our president, uh, Joe Biden, is approaching 80 years of age, and Ronald Reagan was, I think, 80 towards the end of his tenure. So it's to the good that we now know that age does not have to limit our participation in our democracy and our civil society. But I would suggest with that longevity, and for those of us who in our 70s, 80s, even 90s are still involved, whether an elective office, appointed office, on municipal commissions, on a local planning or zoning board, all of these are important for public process and democracy. I believe that for those of us that are still involved and take advantage of the longevity benefits of participation in our great democracy, we also have a responsibility to learn from younger cohorts, to be sensitive to younger generations, to understand the changes in thinking and technology and media and communication. And uh, so that we're not 73 years of age, which I am, and still thinking that the world is like 1966 when I graduated from high school. My great advantage, which is why I continue to teach at, at a great university like UCLA, is I'm always surrounded by younger cohorts of students, especially in this case, Gen Z. And I learned so much from them that I would not have known had I kept myself separate from those age groups. So I would say with the opportunity to be active politically in our civic society at older ages comes a responsibility to always be learning and to be understanding of younger cohorts so that we as older adults, in this case as an aging baby boomer, don't wall ourselves off from different generations, different ways of thinking. And uh, so, yeah, but the opportunity comes responsibility. You know, uh, I'm going to go on my soapbox a little bit for a second here and relate what you just said to something you said earlier. 
You talked about the fact that uh, people who uh, had different economic levels, uh, ethnic levels, younger people uh, might feel that they're being pushed out and that they are not being respected by the more white privileged older person and that there are forces that are exploiting that. That's certainly true. I think that there's a bigger responsibility even among the older generation, not just to learn from the younger generation, show the respect, get tech savvy, learn the music. I mean, Perry Coleman was great, but give me a break. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's Christmas. I don't always have to listen to white Christmas all the time. Okay. But we, and I, and when I say we, I mean those people who today have the good pensions, did have the education, did get all the things that you and I were enriched by, even though we both came from pretty poor immigrant populations, just different ones, but very similar. But we did okay. I think we have a responsibility to tell the younger groups that we care. And not only that we care, but we did things in our own youth. Uh, if you scratch a baby boomer of privilege and you'll find somebody who got arrested on a march. It was a long time ago, but it was there. We didn't have to do it and we cared. And we and people don't want to hear it. Younger people might think, well, that's an old fuddy-duddy old story. I think we still have to tell it. I think we have to say that we cared and we haven't stopped. And it will make a difference. In addition to the fact that there's a lot to learn from the younger generation. But Dr. Torres, when we come back, uh, I do want to talk about this word trends. You know, the people who create the UCLA extension courses, they're very careful. They think a lot about how they title their um, their offerings because they want people to be attracted to it. And in this particular case, they called it the aging landscape, emerging trends and changing perspectives. Now, we've been talking a lot about the perspectives and how they may be changing and how necessary they are. But in the next couple of minutes, just give me a list, and then we'll go. We'll unpack it in the next session. What trends do you see? Do you see technology as a trend? Do you see working longer as a trend? What do you think is really happening from a trend point of view that will be discussed tomorrow by you and the other participants? Certainly, the big one, of course, is technology and social media and the new forms of communication. Certainly, that has a big impact on how we're going to handle the aging process, artificial intelligence, autonomous driving vehicles. I mean, all these create all kinds of new um, opportunities, new dilemmas, uh, even potentially problems. So that's certainly a big one. I think the other trend is what we'll just refer to at the moment is how do we promote healthy aging? In other words, we now recognize that uh, how a person ages later in life and the kind of health status they may have, good or bad, is heavily influenced by how they take care of themselves when they are younger. So this health span has become a very big trend. We've talked about diversity, and in this case, we'll just call it the equity lens. It's certainly going to be a big part of that uh, of that. Uh, you know, of the trends. We also have the issue of global aging. All countries are facing the issues of aging and demographic changes. What does that mean? And then I'll end it with this. Uh, a trend that all of us are going to have to face is the need for caregiving. And that gets into issues of uh, who takes care of us? How do we take care of others? Uh, what does it mean that 
the United States is, is the only really advanced industrial nation without universal long-term care. We're the only nation that essentially assumes that families and individuals will, will take care of each other when they're older and frail or have a chronic condition. So the need to address caregiving, which also addresses the issue of the workforce. The workforce is changing and in long-term care, we've relied heavily on minorities, women, and immigrants. So what does it mean if we no longer have those groups available to provide long-term care. So a lot of big changes occurring, and uh, I find it both exciting, but also we have lots of work to do to address some of those issues that I've mentioned. Well, we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about global. We're going to talk certainly about our own responsibility for our own healthy longevity. But I remind everybody, we may not have a chance, the average caregiver is 46 years old, (coughs) female, and working. And when Dr. Torres made a list, I think in our first session here, first uh, session of of our show, uh, about what we have to be aware of as we age with major issues, it was the poverty of women. And part of that is how many years they miss during their working years because they are the caregivers. So we will be back in just a moment. And I'm going to ask him a question. I'm not going to tell him what it is. Not going to tell you. Wait, it's going to be a tough one. Don't you go anywhere. Full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and we are unaccountably here at Generation Bowl, the fountain of truth, in our last segment because there is so much more to talk about. But if you want to uh, to talk more and listen to some great folks, Aisha Dixon, uh, in, uh, director of UCLA uh, in gerontology, the Retiree Relations Center, of course, our great guest right now, Dr. Uh, Torres, Professor Torres, uh, UCLA Center for Policy Research on Aging, uh, Paul Hsu, PhD. Dr. Hsu is the Assistant Adjunct Professor in Epidemiology, the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health, Monica Moore, Community Health Manager at the Mary S. Easton Center for Alzheimer's Disease, and Deanne M. Morris, Associate Director of Generation Exchange Program, Divisions of Geriatrics uh, at David Geffen School of Medicine that I know very, very well. And Anoush, um, let's see if I can say this correctly, Shesta Hapur. Uh, doctor, director of the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. I actually was a speaker at Osher more than once, and it's one of the major ways that 114 universities throughout the United States can offer inexpensive or free lifelong learning to all of you. So you're going to want to go ahead tomorrow at 1 p.m. Pacific time and register. We're going to have that on our website, adrianberg.com today. So you will have a link for the free registration of this course. Now, uh, Dr. Torres, we, I promised my audience and you that I was going to ask a question and not tell you what it was beforehand and not even discuss it. And I'm going to do that right now. And in it, of course, is my opinion. I want yours. What do you think of over 55 communities that we have created as a leisure 
uh, being our, let's say, lifelong goal after retirement in a setting that is age-based? And I really don't know the answer, folks, to what Dr. Torres thinks about this. I'd like to hear it. Well, you've uh, you've uh, hit me with a uh, profound and even uncomfortable uh, question. Uh, I'll, I'll be provocative and first say those are classic ageist communities because they're age-segregated. You bet. And, uh, <laughs> and they have their place, however, in the continuum of options for how we want to live our longer lifespan. And uh, so an uh, age of 50 and over age-segregated ageist-type community, like Leisure World in Orange County, for example, uh, they can work well for individuals who prefer to be in that type of setting. And so that's fine. However, when you look closely at what, who are that? Who, who is that? What is that entity? They're primarily white, relatively affluent, older adults from a generation that grew up in a homogenous world. And so you'll find precious few minorities, immigrants, low-income persons in these 50 and over or 55 and over communities. And they tend to be relatively conservative, by the way, when it comes to voting, which is why a lot of Republican politicians love these communities in Florida and Arizona. So take that uh, for what it's worth. But also it's important to note that these communities are primarily for-profit proprietary institutions. And uh, I've seen that uh, up front where they these corporations build these over 50 communities and welcome what they call active adults, which is euphemism yes. for you're healthy, you're active, you've got money. But the moment you start looking like you need Medicare or worse, Medicaid, and you have a walker, you have uh, you need an assistant, you you can't get along, then you're not as welcomed in these 50 and over or 55 and over communities because they want to promote a certain type of image that you can be 120 years of age and still look like you're 50 years of age. I'm being a little silly about that. So I would say simply those communities have a role, but they're for a very narrow segment of the population. Most persons could not afford to go there. Many would not prefer to be there. Uh, my wife and I, you know, we have a place in downtown Los Angeles in addition to our home up in the Highland Park Hills because we want to grow old and retire in the downtown environment where we're part of a diverse intergenerational type of community. So everyone can pick and choose what they want, but the current 50 and over tend to be primarily white, conservative, and only for a very narrow segment of affluent older adults. Yeah. So I, I think you're being even a little generous about these communities. I'm being, uh, I'm being diplomatic. Yeah, very diplomatic. I will <laughs> say, you, you know your politics. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I, I have been, uh, look, I've said this. I'm very, very blunt. In terms of sponsorship, I could be a millionaire today if I would take those sponsors. The fact is I, th I find them a little bit dangerous. And not not for the world, but for the people living in it. Uh, and I feel bad 
because I do know the history of this, starting with Del Webb uh, in the 60s. And it was very, very evocative of what success is about. And without that concept of what success is, being leisure, not having to work, is really part of ageism because it, what it really says is you have nothing to contribute. But you've got the money to, to look good while you're not contributing anything. That's what a tough customer I am with this. So mm-hmm. I, will, uh, I will tell everybody I'm actually going to Florida. I'm going to be seeing the villages for the first time, which is written about at, in MIT's wonderful book, The Longevity Economy. Not kindly, by the way. And to see for myself, because it's very easy to have an idea if you're not close to what's really going on. I'm trying to get a little bit closer because I don't live in such a community. But I have friends who do, and uh, they'll tell you they love it. So I'm trying to keep an open mind. I'm not doing a great job, Dr. Torres, but I'm trying. So let us now conclude with what I think uh, is, is an important trend that you have mentioned, and I think one of the hardest things that we can do, but we have to go back to it, and that is uh, convince the younger generation, not us, that they must take care of their health, that they have self-responsibility because they're going to live longer. I don't think a lot of young people, and I'm going to include my kids, uh, who one of whom is barely 30 years old now, uh, realize how long they can live and what they ought to be doing to preserve it, and how wonderful it will be in their 70s, because they still have a picture that is going to be declined. Uh, Is there any breakthroughs there? I mean, we all know how to eat and exercise, and we have more diabetes than ever before. What do you make of that for this this nation? You know, I'm I'm deeply concerned uh, about this issue, and uh, and. It's for the reasons you mentioned, but for much more. Again, if we accept the demographic reality that by 2040, the United States will be a majority minority, and if we further understand that in the next 20, 30, 40 years, the workforce is going to be a majority ethnic minority immigrant, that's the reality, then we have to ask ourselves, What's happening to the young people in those ethnic racial immigrant communities? And there we have a lot of things to worry about and we have to act upon. In our work with the Master Plan on Aging in California, we came to a quick realization that black and brown young people in K through 12 have extraordinarily high rates of diabetes, obesity, and high blood pressure. And if that's a reality, and this is in the K through 12 public schools in California, then we're gonna find in 20, 30, 40 years that we're gonna have a large population of black and brown middle-aged and older adults with strokes, with uh, kidney dial- the need for kidney dialysis, with amputations, which not only will make their older ages very difficult, but we'll put tremendous pressure on our healthcare system. So we have tremendous work to do to educate young persons, but especially in the ethnic minority communities that are low income and don't have the privileges of good, healthy eating and good and exercise, that we've got to start focusing on that population. Otherwise, we'll have a very unhealthy workforce with very expensive health and medical needs. And that, and that does worry me. 
It does. It does. And and as we conclude, you know, there's a great, it's kind of kitschy, I guess, today, but be the light that you want to see in this world. There's an institute that I've, I did get a chance to visit in Germany, the Max Planck Institute, and they did a terrific study on the influence of younger children by their grandparents. And in all, across all ethnicities, it's about the view of how you should live and how you will grow older is 63%. Um, influenced by what children see in their grandparents. No matter what they learn later in life, 63%. So it's trickle down, folks. Whatever kind of grandparent you are, be the light that you would like to bring to your children's and grandchildren's lives because they will listen and they will watch. So if you're going to stuff your face, what are they going to do? They're going to do the same thing. We have a lot of responsibility. Thank you, Dr. Torres. This was thank, thank you, and look forward to the uh, the session tomorrow afternoon. Well, it's going to be wonderful. I'm attending, of course, and I'm very excited to hear everybody uh, as well as yourself and everybody else. Well, COVID is lifted in a lot of places, but if you have to stay in, stay in. But if you can get out, get out there, kids, and make it happen. I'm inappropriate.